gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter, verses 7 through 18. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds asked him, What then should we do? He answered, Whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, What about us? What should we do? He answered, Don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. The people were filled with expectation, and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Thank you God. God. I started last week's sermon by talking about the fact that John the Baptist is an absolutely pivotal character in the Christian story, but we don't see anything about him in our Christmas pageants. You don't see him on our Christmas cards. You don't see him portrayed in Christmas pageants. And this week we get to see why not. John starts his sermon by referring to the crowd as children of snakes, or in some translations more colorfully, as a brood of vipers. Now, y'all have been sitting in pews for a long time. I, I think it's safe to say that if a preacher stood up here on the pulpit and started their sermon with, you brood of vipers, y'all probably get up and walk out. <laughs> That's generally not how one uh, wins friends and influences people, but that really wasn't John's chief concern either. John was there to get people ready to hear Jesus' message. John was there preaching a baptism of repentance. He wanted people to turn from their sins, to, to get right with God, because Jesus was going to come with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So John was there to get people ready. And John talks about the coming judgment. He, he, he basically scares the, the crowd in, into, scares the crowd into faith. And the crowd responds by saying, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're scared now. You know, we, we, we don't want to go through the, the judgment by fire. You know, what, what, what do we need to do here? And it's interesting, the groups that ask, the ones that ask, John, first it's just the generic crowds. 
your everyday ordinary people. And John tells them, you got two shirts, share with the person who doesn't have a shirt. You got plenty of food, give it to the one who doesn't have enough. Share what you have, take care of each other. Then the tax collectors go to John and say, what do we do? Now, y'all, the tax collectors, this is not your, your, your run-of-the-mill IRS agent, okay? Much as we dislike the run-of-the-mill IRS agents, this, this is not what we're talking about here. The tax collectors in Jesus' day were Jewish people working for the Roman government. So there's problem number one. They're working with, they are Jewish people working for the enemy, getting paid by the enemy. And there was an understanding that the, the Roman taxes were exorbitant enough. But there was an understanding that the tax collector could shake you down for a little more money. The tax collector could keep the difference between what Rome said had to be collected and what they actually got. So the tax collectors were wealthy, but it was all ill-gotten gain. They were stealing from their Jewish brothers and sisters. And so they, they have the nerve to go to John and say, well, what, what, you know, what do we do to make things right? Now, you know, part of me says, for Pete's sake, you should have been able to answer this question yourselves. You know, the, the, this is not rocket science here. And, and what John tells them is not rocket science. Collect only what you're supposed to collect. Quit stealing from your brothers and your sisters. Just take what, you know, it, everybody understands the fact that Rome is setting tax rates. So collect what you have to collect. Give to, as Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's but quit shaking down your brothers and your sisters. Then the soldiers ask, now y'all, these are the Romans. What do we do? And John says, just do your job. Don't harass people. Don't intimidate people. Don't cause trouble. Just do your job. And be happy with what you get. Don't try to steal from other people because you're unhappy with what kind of pay you're getting. It's basic. You know, love your neighbor as yourself is not really a complicated idea that Jesus tells us. That we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The problems that we run into are, are, with that, though, are twofold. We don't want to love our neighbor because sometimes we don't like our neighbor. Uh, I was at a church where I would preach this sermon, and every time I had every time I had to preach love your neighbor, every time it came up in the lectionary and I was talking about love your neighbor, I had a gentleman who came up to me from that church every single time. But preacher, I don't like my neighbor. He's mean. I said, I'm sorry he's mean. It didn't say like, but you gotta love him. You don't have to like him. But you gotta love him. He's a child of God, just like you are. You don't have you know, the Bible says love. It doesn't mean we like our neighbors. It doesn't necessarily mean that we, although liking our neighbors is not a bad thing, but it means that we don't harass our neighbors. We don't cause trouble. We don't go out of our way to make things rough for our neighbors. We need to love our neighbors. And loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, the other part of that that sometimes is difficult for us is we don't always love ourselves all that well. We don't always take seriously our identities as a child of God. 
for some of us, it is much easier to love or to love on everybody else around us than it is to take care of ourselves. But we're called to do both. We are called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Jesus loves you. You need to love yourself enough to take care of yourself. And by taking care of yourself, that means coming to worship and, and taking care of all the physical stuff that these bodies take. You know, it's interesting that what, what we're called to do in this, chap, in this chapter here, we're called not to cheat other people. We're called to be just basic, good, decent human beings. And it's interesting, to too, too, that when John's trying to get people ready to receive Jesus, what he doesn't say. John never says anything about spending an, absor an, an, an exorbitant amount of money buying other people gifts. He doesn't say anything about breaking your neck, trying to get to every single Christmas doodad that's going on in the area. He doesn't say spend way too much money buying the ingredients for and then spend way too much time making and way too many calories consuming every Christmas sweet that you can get your hands on. He doesn't say dress up like a man in a big red suit. He doesn't say any of those things. That's not how we get ready for Christmas. And yet that's how we've decided that we need to get ready for Christmas. We do all this stuff and we buy all this stuff. And we miss the point. We're so busy getting ready for Christmas that we can't enjoy the Christmas season. Y'all, there's a reason the church has us celebrate four weeks of Advent before we get to Christmas. We still need time for our hearts to get ready to receive the Christ child. It's not so that we can run this marathon of events and spending and work. It's so that we can have still moments like this where we come into the sanctuary and we sit still for an hour and we listen to the story and we remember what God's done for us. Because God has loved us in an absolutely amazing way. God went to all this trouble to send his son Jesus on our behalf. For each and every one of us. All of you in the pews, us up here. God sent his son. He didn't send his son so that we could drive ourselves crazy singing jingle bells and, and worrying about this, that, and the other thing. He sent his son so we could experience salvation. So we experience the kingdom of God. And we experience the kingdom of God, not just, you know, we, we talk about the kingdom of God, that, that that's, the kingdom of heaven is where we go when we die. And yes, that's true, that, that is the kingdom of God, but but Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom of heaven breaks into this realm here and now, too. So the kingdom of heaven is both here 
in the now and in the not yet. The same way that we live between two advents. We live between the first coming of the Christ child and his coming again in glory. So how should we live? I think if John the Baptist could come back and see our society today, he'd probably have a stroke for one, but I think that he would tell us and answer the question, what should we do? He would say, love each other. Treat one another with respect. Be civil to those you disagree with. Share what you have. Be willing to love the stranger. Because it's in doing those things. It's when we do those things that we see God's presence break through. You know, Sharon wasn't joking about God being present at the Christmas gathering yesterday for the, for the food pantry. The kingdom of God was very much there and present. And you could see it in the faces of the kids. You could see it in the, the weary smiles of grown-ups who clearly had too much to deal with and they were getting a little help and it was making their kid happy. And that was taking a little bit of the load off of them. I got to have lunch with a couple of boys who have been here um, to our kids program. Sweet, sweet, sweet kids. And it was fun to get to talk with them. And just, you know, they, they were just having a good old time. They were, you know, chowing down on pizza and, and, and talking to me and talking about school and how things were going. And it was an opportunity to be present with them and to be in the presence of Christ around all of us. Find places like that to be. And it may be within your own family. Be with the broken. Be with the ones who need, who need a little extra hug and a little extra love at this time of year. You know, today we light the, the candle of joy on the, on the Advent wreath. And, you know, we can sometimes get beaten over the head with the fact that we're supposed to be joyous at this time of year. You know, we've got it in, in all of the, in the, in the secular Christmas songs. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Wonderful Christmas time. For some folks, y'all, this is not a joyous time of year. It's rough. It's hard. Because it's a time of remembering losses and brokenness. And where would Jesus be? What would Jesus have us to do? Jesus would have us be with those who are hurting for whom this isn't a joyful time, who are struggling to see the light shining in the darkness. If you are blessed to have that joy in your heart, then share that too. You know, we, we need to share our material possessions, and, and that's part of why I want us to, to take up the offering Christmas Eve night for the folks that were hit by the tornadoes. Jesus calls us to share our stuff. And we've been hit by natural disasters. We know what that's like. 
We know what it's like. And, and some of y'all know literally what it's like one day to have all your stuff and the next day to have nothing. And so I want us to share our stuff. But more than that, I want you to share your heart. Open your heart. Love like Jesus. We may not all be able to live like he did, but we can love like he did. He calls us to it. And so in this day of joy and in this season of, of joy and happiness, what should we do? We should share. We should share what we can share materially, and we should share what we can all share, which is the love that Jesus puts in our hearts. Amen. Amen.